Okay, that just sounds fun right there. Okay. <clears throat> hey, Paul, welcome to a new episode of Pope Francis Generation. Today, we're talking about solidarity. And you said right before we hit record that this is going to be a fun episode, maybe a controversial one, unlike unlike any others that we've ever recorded. <laughs> What's the why pick solidarity? Yeah, under this under the umbrella of this principle includes uh, the um, preferential option for the poor, the church's teaching on immigration, the church's teaching on racism, the church's teaching on care for the environment. Um, a lot of the social priorities of the current pontificate of the past um, eight, nine years that he's been Pope, or longer than that, almost 10 years that he's been Pope, um, really fall under this. So uh, uh, there's a lot of really controversial issues, especially for American audiences, but it's something that the these issues under solidarity are issues that the church is really inviting us to focus on at this particular time in history. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, Pope um, uh, St. John Paul was also very big with with this, too. And slightly his work with that was before my time. So if that comes up today, I'm interested to learn more about that. Was it Solidarność or something? Um, so, hey friends, and welcome to Pope Francis Generation. It's the show for Catholics struggling with the church's teaching, who feel like they might not belong in the church anymore, and who still hunger for a God of love and goodness. Your hosts are me, Paul Fahey, a professional catechist. And I'm Dominic, someone who needs catechesis. Together, we're taking our own look at the Catholic Church, her teachings and practices from three views that changed our world. And those are the Kerygma, the Doctrine of Theosis, and the teachings of Pope Francis. Together with you, we're the Pope Francis generation. Okay, how do we want to define uh, solidarity so that uh, we can get into working with this this idea? Yeah, so the heart of this principle is that if God is the father and creator of all, which he is, and therefore all of us are brothers and sisters to each other, um, which is the title of uh, the church's most recent social encyclical, Pope Francis's encyclical Fratelli Tutti, um, brothers and sisters all. Mm -hmm. So that's really the heart of solidarity, that there is this uh, radical, and we've talked about this before, interconnectedness and interdependence between mm -hmm. all human beings. Right? Right? We are made in the image and likeness, not of a God who is one, but of a God who is three in one, a God mm -hmm. who is a communion of persons. So because we are made in the image and likeness of a communion of persons, being radically interdependent on each other is a part of who we are individually mm -hmm. and as uh, a human race. And even more than that, not just the human race is interconnected, but all of creation is, is interconnected. Um, uh, we talked about this in one of the episodes when we talked about human beings as the, uh, as priests, as the, the, the creation that sits in between God's spiritual realm and the material realm, human beings um, are God's priests. And part of our work is to gather a material world and bring it into order um, mm -hmm. and it's to bring it before the Lord. So all of creation, not just human beings, are interconnected with each other under mm -hmm. the under the, the fatherhood, the creator, um, God. Yes, yes. And it, it's we've got, for example, I love to think of the, um, the Our Father prayer. It doesn't begin with my father who art in heaven, with the unique and distinct um, personal relationship um, with God as though that was the supreme thing. It's our, our father. We pray together. Yep. Yep. Um, so that's the heart of it. So if we, yep. if we start with this interconnectedness. Um, so I want to start with uh, the problem and then solidarity yeah. is the solution to the problem. Okay. Great. Uh, 
so the problem is sin. I mean, the, the problem mm -hmm. is always sin. Um, but the church is clear that sin is not simply a personal and individual thing. Mm -hmm. uh, even in our doctrine of original sin, we understand this. When we say the word, the term original sin, we mean both the personal sin of Adam and Eve, the first mm -hmm. sin, but we also mean the state of brokenness that that first sin caused that all mm -hmm. of us are born into. We're born into a broken world and we're born with a brokenness in us ourselves, an inclination to sin, um, uh, concupiscence, this brokenness within us. Mm -hmm. So we recognize that sin is both personal. It is a free choice by individuals, but it's not just personal. The mm -hmm. repercussions of sin mm -hmm. move far beyond that individual in that particular moment, right? right? So the church is clear that even the most private individual sins harm others. At the very least, they harm me, and then I bring my own brokenness into my relationships with others at a minimum. But mm -hmm. more often, our sins contribute to the harm of others, uh, more than even more than that. Yeah. Um, we see this in uh, the church's teaching on confession, where in the sacrament of reconciliation, we're not only reconciled back to God, but the priest also is a representative of the church and we're reconciled back to the community. Now, why would mm -hmm. we need to be reconciled back to the community? Because we've harmed the community by our sin. Our sin has right. done something that's harmed the community. Um, in the Old Testament, you, you would hear this idea of like uh, sin would pollute the community. Mm -hmm. So one of the one of the sacrifices that, that God gave his people, uh, uh, the, the people of Israel, is this, they would... Uh, uh, bring a lamb into the Holy of Holies, an unblemished lamb, and the lamb would be sacrificed. Then the blood of the lamb, the priest would take that blood and sprinkle it around the tent and around the community. And this would cleanse the community of mm -hmm. sin. Sin was seen as this pollutant in the community. Mm -hmm. And the lifeblood of the animal would 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 heal that, would clean that. Yeah. Um, it's this This kind of thing is something I think we struggle a lot with um, maybe in the first world West. So I know that I totally did growing up, you know, and, and the, the catchphrase is, you know, if, if, you know, what I'm doing isn't hurting anybody, I should be able to get away with it. And I mean, if you're Catholic, maybe you're a Christian, you're kind of thinking that like, Oh, I'll go to confession afterwards. I like the point that you made, how we bring that brokenness into contact with other people. But I think that the more we get better, just stepping away from faith for a second, the more we get better at just doing science, the more we are beginning to have to to step away from and realize that our old views of science don't hold up anymore. And we used to think in uh, like an atomist, uh, like individual atoms, everything is discrete. Every human is like a closed sphere or a closed thing separate from every other person. And the more we're getting into, you know, down past the layers of things, past the atoms into the quarks and into the quanta, we begin to realize, oh, everything is actually fields. Like you say, not just interconnected in like a legal fiction sense, but no, there's like everything hangs together because everything informs each other. Humans are part of a field of humanity and we participate in fields above and below us. Um, and there's a whole discussion that's always very fun. But if that's the case, that interconnection is not on a biological level, but we're also part of human as a reality, not just individual humans. We're all human. So 
like you said, introducing sin pollutes or it's like adding drops of like black ink into a jar. And you can go do that in your corner of the jar, but no, it, it doesn't work that way. Uh, even if nobody else knows about it, there are still these spiritual repercussions, either like a vortex, uh, you're like a black hole and, and you're going to be pulling negativity or pulling, you know, you're inviting evil effectively. Uh, and you're going to be putting out decisions affected by your, your state. But then the inverse is also true. And yep. that's why goodness is not just magnetic, but it radiates freedom, hope. Uh, and whether anybody knows about it or not, it is still this, this like a lightning rod for grace and, and for affecting the human family, your immediate neighborhood, even if you're not talking about it or, or anybody sees it. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe a couple illustrations for this. Uh, you know, one is uh, you can't pee in just your corner of the pool, right? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think maybe thinking uh, with the idea of like ecosystems. So you think of like in environmental biology, you think of uh, like a wetlands and ecosystem and from the you know the largest animals in the wetlands say like crocodiles to like not just the smallest animals but the insects and the plants and even the like the dirt in the water right mm -hmm. are all interconnected and interdependent on each other you pull one thing out or you mm -hmm. add one thing that shouldn't be there mm -hmm. the whole ecosystem changes um so like human beings are in not just an environmental biological ecosystem, we're mm -hmm. in a moral and spiritual and personal ecosystem. Right. Um, right. And you can't move things around in just one little area without it affecting yeah. the greater whole. Um, we can't assume that just detaching or that we can sort of stand back and detach from reality and observe it like an impartial observer from outside of creations. <laughs> you, we are creation. Like you said, we're part of these spiritual superstructures. We're part of an ecosystem of biology and also spiritual engagement. Yep. Uh, so what we do in our private rooms, uh, our inner rooms, behind closed doors with God or without God, it, it does matter. Yeah. Um, so so, so this, is, this is key here. So this is from the compendium. <clears throat> and as I said, we're starting with the bad because solidarity really is the solution to the bad. So this is this is the, the teaching, the doctrine on structures of sin. So this is from the compendium. Uh, it says, the consequences of sin perpetuate the structures of sin. These are rooted in personal sin and therefore are always connected to concrete acts of the individuals who commit them consolidate them and make it difficult to remove them. So in other words, we're talking about structures of sin. The church is still making it clear. It's still individual free persons mm -hmm. in concrete acts who sin. Okay. Mm -hmm. The compendium continues. It is thus that they grow stronger, spread and become sources of other sins, conditioning human conduct. These are obstacles and conditioning that go well beyond the actions and brief lifespan of the individual. In other words, sin is a pollution. Sin is peeing in your corner of the pool mm -hmm. and it spreads out and the damage that that sin causes can live long beyond, not just that, that particular choice. You getting out of the pool and then yeah. you but keep even, staying in that area. I mean, that's going to affect you. Yeah. But even beyond your life, yeah. sin can affect and cause damage even beyond the life of the person who, uh, who caused mm -hmm. the sin. So this is the idea of structures of sin. 
So what's the solution to that? The response that the church gives is solidarity. Mm-hmm. So the compendium says that uh, solidarity uh, is a virtue. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's a gift of grace. And by our cooperation with grace, it becomes a uh, disposition, right? Uh, uh, um, not just a mere habit, like, um, you know, brushing your teeth is a habit, but like a, a disposition of who we are, right? Grace mm-hmm. makes us more like Christ. So we are more disposed to act in solidarity. Okay. It's like, like, if it's more than a habit, then what is it? It's like an orientation. It's an outlook. It's a... Well, I mean, you end up building habits around the kinds of choices that reaffirm this way of living. Yeah. So, I mean, again, it was, so if you go back to theosis, that grace is making us into Christ, right. um, then it's as grace heals us and transforms us to be more like Christ, now mm-hmm. we are disposed and behave naturally, easily, the way mm-hmm. that Christ does. This we is how we see the virtue. More free. Yeah. Um, yeah. So okay. it's the virtue of working for the common good. And working to replace structures of sin with structures mm-hmm. of justice. So this virtue, the compendium says, has both a personal and a social dimension. So as a personal virtue, it means more than just having um, a vague feel. <laughs> the quote is, it's more than a feeling of vague compassion or shallow, dis- or shallow distress for others, right? It's It's yeah. more than just feeling sorry for those other people who have it worse than mm-hmm. I do. Rather, it's a stable desire and pattern of behavior, a firm and persevering determination to commit oneself to the common good. Now, a mm-hmm. reminder, the common good is this idea that every human being on the planet, simply because they exist, is owed what's necessary to live a dignified life. Mm-hmm. Food, shelter, um, community, safety, access to health care, access to education, etc. So it's this firm determination, a belief and action to saying everyone deserves that. Um, So the uh, compendium continues that solidarity is a commitment to the good of one's neighbor with the readiness to lose oneself for the sake of the other instead of exploiting them and to serve the other instead of oppressing him for my own advantage. Because sin has caused this brokenness in us. Mm-hmm. to grasp, um, to look out for me and my own first. And solidarity is the virtue that says, actually, I'm free to mm-hmm. lose, lose myself, put myself at risk for the good mm-hmm. of the other. Um, it's a virtue, the, the, the compendium says, that's opposed to individualism. Mm-hmm. It's opposed to the belief that every man is for himself. Um, so... This is a difficult uh, principle, as you talked about, especially in American culture. Even the idea of structures of sin is difficult in American in American culture because of the individualism and libertarianism that shapes mm-hmm. so much of our social and political worldview. Mm-hmm. This idea that every man's an island, that every man for himself. Um, but if we're radically inter- interconnected, as our tradition talks about, mm-hmm. then any type of individualism is nonsense in the, in the yeah it doesn't help i wonder if there's also a if as you're talking about it it feels like a um how would you say it feels like a needed psychological <coughs> defense mechanism something like individualism when we recognize there are massive problems but if i can disconnect myself 
or if I can see myself in a way where I am not, not a part of this evil or this problem, because, and this is something every human being uh, hungers for and wants is I want to be good because if I'm good, I can like myself. And if I'm bad, I have a really hard time with this. A lot of mental health struggles with it. And whether it's from bad parenting or uh, structures of sin at different levels, uh, I think we have a very hard time acknowledging that we are beloved by God and that we are good. And as some will say, we've started with an original blessing that is then marred by an original separation or falling away or a compulsion or a sin or whatever. But it does start with that goodness. And if we don't have that, um, this is why we've had wonderful conversations in this this recent season and why I've loved the people that you've you've brought on to talk with, how they, they never um, identify a problem and a solution in light of shame. It's always in a space of kindness and hope and just acceptance that this is the state of the world and you didn't ask to carry some of this cross, but you do. So now, what are we going to do about this? And I love that space of, of hope and, and a call to, to free action. Um, and I kind of forgot where I was going. Oh, so that individualist desire that if I'm not part of these structures of sin, I can hold on to some, some space of goodness. Whereas Christ did not act, act that way. Yeah, I mean, this individualism is really, uh, you can empathize with it. Because it's really based on security and self-protection. I think it's a very human, it's a very human thing. I think yeah. solidarity is a very divine thing. Yeah, because when you look at, <sighs> there's a lot in the world that we instinctively desire to protect ourselves from. Mm -hmm. But the model of Christ is the one who makes himself vulnerable and exposes mm -hmm. himself for the world to torment mm -hmm. and abuse right? And it's through that vulnerability, through that mm -hmm. risk that he brings salvation. Mm -hmm. So that's what we're called to as Christians. But yeah, it goes against this like deeply ingrained brokenness within us mm -hmm. that wants to grasp at protection um, yeah. out, of, out, of, out of fear of what's going on in the world. There's also an inverse, maybe this is part of your notes and it's coming up later, but there's an a, a um, unhealthy form of solidarity too, isn't there? One where one's individuality is lost and one becomes a herd. And we'll see this with either a sense of tribalism or like a, a loss of identity into a, a mass or group think, or uh, like we see this in riots where all of a sudden individuals disappear and we are suddenly faced with an organism that <clears throat> is just, you don't know what's controlling this thing anymore. And, and, you know, people regret their actions afterwards. Like that wasn't me, you know, solidarity is like, it's maintaining your individuality, but it's now intentionally in communion with, yep. with others. Yeah, that's something that, you know, going back to one of our first episodes this season when we talked with Mark Shea, he envisioned the principles of Catholic social teaching as uh, as the four legs of a, of a stool or a, or a throne, right? Mm -hmm. um, they balance each other out. Um, so solidarity and the common good lean towards the like the good and the rights of the community and the interconnectedness of humanity mm -hmm. but that but you cannot have those without also having the dignity of the human person the infinite dignity of every individual and subsidiarity 
which is about em empowering people to have more freedom and more participation, right? Mm -hmm. So that's how these things are balanced out. Like solidarity is balanced out by um, subsidiarity and the dignity of the human person. Now mm. that they're in opposition, it's like a tension that balances out, but right. that they're fully integrated, right? Even the common good. We talk about the common good is this like every, every person deserves, you know, we see it as a communal thing, mm -hmm. but it's rooted in and flows from the dignity of the human person. Right. And then when we talk about subsidiarity, it's the best means for bringing about the common good. Right. Right. Um, so they're not intention in a combative way. Mm -hmm. Um, but, but they all balance each other out into, um, into something much more holistic than one on their own. Mm -hmm. Um, okay. So, um, solidarity is this personal virtue of, uh, this disposition to, um, be willing to put myself at risk for the good of the other. It's also a social virtue in that it goes beyond just changing my individual actions or my personal charity um, and seeks to reform cultures and institutions. It seeks to reform laws. It seeks to reform policies. It seeks to tear down, to, like to recognize and tear down structures of sin and injustice mm -hmm. and replace them with structures of justice. Mm -hmm. Um, so there's a communal dimension to it as well. It's not just about individual charity. It's about, well, if we really are all interconnected, then we have to really like work together. So, uh, so Pope Francis has an illustration in a fraternity where, um, where he says it's an act of love. It's an act of charity to help someone cross a river, right? To help carry their stuff and carry them across a river. It's also an act of love to gather all the village people together and to build a bridge so that anyone can cross the river, right? Both of these things are acts of love. One is personal. I'm going to put my personal self at risk. And the other is communal, recognizing this is a problem that a lot of people have. So mm -hmm. we can come together and fix this, this problem, right? Right. Um, so these are kind of the, the dimensions of solidarity. <clears throat> um. Sorry, I'm like coughing into the into the microphone. My family's had a cold this past week. Plus a little bit of sleep deprivation from the newborn. So yes. Yes. Um, okay, so uh solidarity isn't just about so think of an ecosystem. It's not just an ecosystem of the present moment. Mm -hmm. It's also an ecosystem that extends throughout time as well. Mm -hmm. So um, in solidarity, we have this idea that human, human beings are radically interdependent. And we've talked about this before, right? The community owes me things just because I exist. And I owe the community things just because I exist. There's a sense of debt, right? Mm -hmm. I have a debt to the community just because I exist. But that debt, as I said, extends beyond just the present moment. So this is, this is a little bit longer quote, but it's important. This is from the mm -hmm. compendium. The principle of solidarity requires that men and women of our day cultivate a greater awareness that they are debtors of a society of which they have become a part. They are debtors because of those conditions that make human existence livable and because of the indivisible and indispensable legacy constituted by culture, scientific and technical knowledge, material and immaterial goods, and by all that the human condition has produced. In other words, I came into a world 
with indoor plumbing and modern medicine and a stable community. And I did not build those things myself. Mm-hmm. So I must recognize that I owe a debt to those who came before me mm-hmm. and, and built what I had been brought into, right? And then the compendium continues. A similar debt must be recognized in the various forms of social interaction so that humanity's journey will not be interrupted, but remain open to present and future generations, all of them called together to share the same gift in solidarity. In other words, I also have a debt to those who will come after me who don't mm-hmm. even exist yet, mm-hmm. that they also have what they need to live a flourishing life, right? Yeah. yeah. So there is a, it's this sense of indebtedness to what, to what humanity has given me, mm-hmm. both immediately, but also the generations um, of, of culture and technology and all of that stuff that's been built that I'm now benefiting mm-hmm. from that yeah. I didn't, I certainly didn't build. My wife and I were chatting about this this past weekend <clears throat> about like the phases of life and how they're they're supposed to like interlock with each other these cycles of life that we go through and and let's say you divide it into like 30 year chunks the first 30 years of your life um we're we're developing and setting up and starting businesses and so on and we can't do that on our own we need the support of our families to to raise us through childhood and late teens and into early marriage and so on we we need that support from the stability of our family and so on. But then the point comes where we then move into this second phase of life. And then we now are, we have the strength and the stability we should, we are in now in, have a capacity to contribute back. We've, <laughs> we've been in the game long enough. We've been alive long enough to where we can actually do something that's helpful. And while we have that, we don't just enjoy that for ourselves. We are holding the next generations and bringing new children to the world. And we are now holding the aged and as the people in that last 30 year gap of the phase of their life. So at every point, that space of strength is, um, is a, a space of support, constantly supporting, you know, um, the, the, the children and, and then the old, and then we move into a new space where we are now older and then our children are now older and then they're now supporting us. And then they're supporting. So it's this constant, it, it's always meant to be. And, and somehow we've broken apart and atomized and separated these pieces. And and I love the metaphors of these ideas that, especially as Christians, um, this is supposed to be uh, an easier pill to swallow. But we are in the business of cathedral building. Um, it's where we're starting projects and we're starting efforts that are going to live and outlast far beyond our individual lives. Like people, families would spend entire generations, like 200 years or something, 100 years, building this massive project. People would grow up and never see the end and they would just do their little part. Um, in the ancient world, it would the, the ideal of manhood, I think, would, would be to raise a child, plant a tree, and dig a well. Um, and to in planting a tree, to to plant something in which, you know, the shade of which you'll never sit in, but you're not doing it for yourself. Yeah. And the impact of a well is is not for you. It's it's for others. And of course, the child is the synthesis of both of those concepts. 
Um, this is a, this is probably a total tangent. Have you seen the the Star Wars show Andor that just finished? I just finished. It was amazing. Yeah. Uh, there's one character, and I'll try not to give away spoilers. There's there's one character who's a part of the uh, this is kind of the start of the rebellion against the Empire, right? Mm-hmm. And this character is not in any of the other movies, so you know the audience is pretty like he's probably not going to survive for very long because we have we you know. <laughs> uh, um, and he gives a speech at one point. Now he's a pretty morally compromised character, but he talks about how um, he's working for a sunset that he's not going to see, right? Right. Um, but that's still driving him, even though he's not right. going to see the fruits mm-hmm. of his effort. Mm-hmm. He still sees it as his responsibility to work right. f- to work for that. I like how he he also said in that same speech how his his earlier ego attracted him to this great cause because. He thought he would be a hero in doing it. And it was that early vision in his life that propelled him to start taking action. Was But then as he really got into it and as he got older, he began to realize his ego uh, would never be satisfied. And especially with this cause, it transcended the limits of his life. He was, in a way, one part of a chain and in trying to ensure that he was doing the best that he could within the time that he had to pass it on because this was something that far exceeded a single lifetime. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, this isn't a star Wars podcast, Um, (laughs) but if you like star Wars, (laughs) you can always DM us because we love movies. So, Um, so I want to, I want to focus then on, so, so we built this foundation of what structures of sin and what solidarity is in response Mm -hmm. and talk about then uh, four issues um, that fall under this umbrella that we mentioned at the beginning. So one is um, the church's doctrine that we ought to have a, um, a preferential option for the poor. Mm-hmm. And this means that in the decisions we make personally, politically, economically, and as a society, the poor and the vulnerable must be given preferential treatment. Those who are marginalized must be given preferential treatment. Mm-hmm. So this is a uh, another longer quote but it's important. This is from um, a Wednesday catechesis that the Pope gave uh, back in the summer of 2020. So this is in the middle of the pandemic. The Pope says this, Christ himself, who is God, despoiled himself, making himself similar to men. And he chose not a life of privilege, but he chose the condition of a servant. He annihilated himself by making himself a servant. He was born into a humble family and worked as a craftsman. At the beginning of his preaching, he announced that the kingdom of God, that in the kingdom of God, the poor are blessed. He stood among the, he stood among the sick, the poor, the excluded, showing them God's merciful love. And many times he was judged an impure man because he went to the sick, to lepers. And this made people impure, according to the law of the age. And he took risks to be near to the poor. Therefore, Jesus's followers recognized themselves by their closeness to the poor the little ones, the sick and the imprisoned, the excluded and the forgotten, those without food and clothing. This is a key criterion for Christian authenticity. Some mistakenly think that this preferential love for the poor is a task for the few, but in reality, it is the mission of the church as a whole. In other words, we give preferential option to the poor and vulnerable and marginalized because Christ gave preferential option, preferential treatment to the poor and the vulnerable and the marginalized. But not Mm -hmm. only that, 
Christ goes further, right? When he talks about when he comes again and there's the great judgment and he separates the sheep from the goats, the criterion with which he separates is um, when I was hungry, you gave me food. When I was in prison, you visited me. When I was a foreigner, you welcomed me. And the people will say, well, when did we do this? And he'll say, we, when you did it for the least of these, you did it for me. So Christ not only models for us what it means to have solidarity with the poor and the vulnerable and the marginalized, but he actually says that when we have solidarity with, when we give preferential treatment to the poor and the vulnerable and the marginalized, we are actually giving preferential treatment to Christ himself. He identifies himself with the poor, the vulnerable, and the marginalized. We can say, um, we can say that the poor are sacramental, not one of the seven sacraments, but in the sense of we encounter Christ because he told us we do, and very, very explicitly told us we do. We encounter Christ when we um, encounter someone who's poor and vulnerable and marginalized. That'd be a cool list to have in a vestibule. Here's the top sacramentals in your area. Holy water, blessed salt, the homeless guy on 15th. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And this is explicit. I mean, this is explicit in the gospels. Um, so this, uh, this doctrine of the preferential option for the poor um, is very much rooted in Christ himself. Um, okay. So the, the next one is racism. And um, uh, yeah, so we already did this interview. So, uh, so so next week, you can look forward to this. This is a preview. We had a wonderful conversation uh, with Gloria Purvis um, on all about racism. And uh, uh, so this is just going to be like just a little taste of that. But um, uh, she goes into this a lot more. Mm -hmm. uh, so racism... Uh, is first of all, uh, absolutely, completely contrary to the gospel. Um, in an interview that, um, and the Gloria Purvis was there, um, in an interview that American media did with Pope Francis just last month, and he was asked about racism, and he said this, racism is an, an intolerable sin against God. The church, the pastors, and lay people must continue to fight to eradicate it, and for a more just world. The church is unequivocal that racism is a grave and intolerable evil. Mm -hmm. um, racism is also a sin against solidarity. Um, here's a little bit longer quote. It's from the U.S. Uh, Bishop's uh, pastoral letter against racism called Open Wide Our Hearts. And it says this, Racism arises when, either consciously or unconsciously, meaning unconsciously, we can we can be racist, right? When either consciously or unconsciously, a person holds that his or her own race or ethnicity is superior and therefore judges persons of other races or ethnicities as inferior and unworthy of equal regard. When this conviction or attitude leads individuals or groups to exclude, ridicule, mistreat, or unjustly discriminate against persons on the basis of their race or ethnicity, it is sinful. Racist acts are sinful because they violate justice. They reveal a failure to acknowledge the human dignity of the persons offended, to recognize them as the neighbors, of, as the neighbors Christ calls us to love. So racism is an offense to the infinite dignity of the human person. 
but the U.S. bishops continue. Racism occurs because a person ignores the fundamental truth that because all humans share a common origin, they are all brothers and sisters, all equally made in the image of God. When this truth is ignored, the consequence is prejudice and fear of the other, and all too often, hatred. Every racist act, every such comment, every joke, every disparaging look as a reaction to the color of skin, ethnicity, or place of origin, is a failure to acknowledge another person as a brother or sister created in the image of God. In these and in many other such acts, the sin of racism persists in our lives, in our country, and in the world. Racism is precisely a failure of solidarity, right? Mm -hmm. It's a failure to recognize this fundamental truth that all human beings are brothers and sisters. Um, I, know I, I think we've possibly touched on this before, and, and <clears throat> maybe this will come up again in, in the conversation with Gloria, but um, I think it's fair to, to also say that there are plenty of things that are just natural to the human condition, like individualism. I think that racism is also, it's just natural to the human condition. It's a very natural human response that what I trust and what I know is good and what isn't uh, isn't and is is a problem um and we'll see this in every culture we go back through history we see racism basically everywhere and you can call it you know nationalism tribalism it's it's all a kind of me good you bad anywhere that that shows up it's it's a human response I think it's maybe a more animal response and again what Gloria was wonderful in her conversation people can catch this later is not to use it as a shame mechanism and a lot of people will do that and and that's like you go to confession and you're you're pouring your heart and your guts out to, to a priest and the worst possible thing to happen would be for him to or for God and God never does this to turn around and use those things to beat you look how terrible you are and and so on look at all of these flaws in you and some of these things are even just part of the human condition you're a pathetic human being God forbid that ever happens especially in the space of a confessional and especially in any loving relationship and that we should never ever hopefully do that sort of thing with a discussion like this and especially because it is so charged one of the things that I've found that's not brought me peace with it, but helped me to understand and not get so defensive about it, is one to recognize, I think it's it's part of the human condition that doesn't let us off the hook, but it does call us to be um, conscious and attentive and to get to work. What do you think? I think that um, racism as we experience it now may not, I'm not sure I'd say it's a part of the human condition. I think tribalism certainly is, mm -hmm. right? We find safety and security and prosperity in referencing my tribe, um, mm -hmm. my group versus the other. And it's really easy to consolidate power by making my group fearful of the other, the outside, right? right. Um, so I think those are common to the human condition. Um, I am not sure that racism as we experience it. And I'll allow me to make the caveat that as we experience it is is kind of that gray zone i mean the the general impulse to it that just sort of runs latent yeah uh, in a lot of cultures yeah but it's how we have experienced it when you do get conscious about it and you accept it and you use it to create the structures that we're now struggling with and waking up to um 
it's anyhow go ahead yeah the the white supremacist anti-black racism that was built upon um uh, uh the slave trade and segregation and all of that right i think it's its own particular thing um mm -hmm. that i'm not sure exists uh at least certainly not to that scale um in human history before or in other places like slavery existed and mm -hmm. tribalism existed and prejudice has always existed and things like that but i'm not sure the I don't know. preference I mean, of i'm of, not a historian i but yeah. i'm thinking back to ancient china ancient rome um persians i don't know if there's I, any historians in the chat but yeah i'm not sure that the preference of whiteness over blackness specifically as a form of prejudice is something that's um a part of the human condition i don't believe that's the case yeah, yeah. I, I mean okay i do agree with you i think it's a specific articulation of that yeah anyhow um keep going, keep going. Something else about racism that's important is it is also um, structural and systemic, mm -hmm. just like any sin is, right? This is we've talked about. And actually, the, the U.S. bishops in this document call um, racism the original sin of our of our country. So think about what the church says about original sin, right? It's something that I am not personally guilty for. I'm not guilty for Adam's sin, right? Mm -hmm. But um, I do live in a world that's been broken by that sin. I myself am broken by that sin. Mm -hmm. I participate in that sin. And I'm inclined to towards that sin. I think that's a great way to articulate racism mm -hmm. um, as a structural problem, as a systemic problem. I may not, though I think it's I, th I think it's more I certainly have personally committed acts of racism. Not, not great big acts, but small acts. But that's included in this, right? Every racist act, every comment, joke, disparaging look, et cetera, right? Mm -hmm. I've certainly committed some of those in my life. But even if I hadn't, I'm still participating in a culture, in a political system, in an economic system, in a social system that's been that was shaped for hundreds of years mm -hmm. by anti-black racism. Yeah. Um, which means then. The call to solidarity is not is not just it includes the call to rid racism from my own heart and my own life and to rid prejudice from my own heart and my own life with the grace of god but it's also the call to take down structures of racism within social political and economic mm -hmm. uh, systems right um that's included in this and with this recognition of racism as a sin yeah <clears throat> um, but again, we'll talk about this. We sp spend a whole episode on this with, with Gloria next week. Um, next is I want to spend some time. I think this is a, this is a good place to talk about, um, the church's teaching on immigration underneath this context of we are all brothers and sisters, right? So there's a lot of teaching here and I'm, I'm going to break it down, but it's important. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm going to start with the catechism. So this is catechism 2241. It says this, the more prosperous nations are obliged to the extent they are able to welcome the foreigner in search of the security and the means of livelihood, which he cannot find in his country of origin. Public authorities should see to it that, the, that this natural right is respected that places a guest under the, under the protection of those who receive him. 
and then political authorities for the sake of the common good for which they are responsible may take may make the exercise of the right to immigrate subject to various juridical conditions i want to break this down mm-hmm. the church is clear human beings have a right to immigrate if they are searching for security or the means um, to live right in other words think about the common good right this list what someone needs to live and to flourish food shelter healthcare security education stability etc right if someone can't find that in their country of origin they have the right to go to a more prosperous country to find it and public authorities should see to it <laughs> right that 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 right is respected mm-hmm. now the church also says that these public authorities for the sake of the common good for which they are responsible may make the exercise of the right to immigrate um, subject to various uh, juridical conditions. Mm-hmm. Notice that any type of uh, regulation put on immigration must be for the sake of the common good, mm-hmm. not for any other sake, but for the sake of the common good. So this is the principle, that the church. this is the consistent principle of the church. Okay. Um, Pope Francis develops this teaching or maybe refines it in his encyclical Fratelli Tutti. So something that he adds to it is that we also have the right not to immigrate. In other words, I shouldn't have to leave my homeland Mm. to find um, what's necessary for me to live. Mm -hmm. It is a failure of, of, uh, of humanity, of society, that someone would have to do that in my systems, my, yeah, uh, systems of authority and judgment. So, so, so if you think of like, um, just in the past decade, the things that have displaced the most people, it's been war, and it's been, um, uh, uh, and uh, it's and it's been climate change. Those mm-hmm. things shouldn't have happened in the first place. I mean, you look, right. look at like the war in Ukraine and all the Ukrainians that have been displaced because of that, or all the Syrians that were displaced. Millions of people displaced. Yeah. Um, they shouldn't have to, right? So people have the right not to immigrate, what the Pope is saying here. Mm-hmm. We shouldn't have to leave our homeland to find what we need to live. Okay. Um, here's a couple of passages from Fratelli Tutti that I wanna I wanna add to this. Um, you remember when we talked about when we talked about the common good, we talked about the universal destination of goods, right? Yes. How the goods mm-hmm. of the earth belong to everybody and how private property is a right, but it's a pragmatic right. It's the best means for which the goods of the earth are distributed. The Pope Mm -hmm. takes that framework and then he applies it to immigration. And he says this. Nowadays, a firm belief in the common destination of the earth's goods requires that this principle also be applied to nations, their territories, and their resources. Seen from the standpoint not only of the legitimacy of private property and the rights of its citizens, but also of the first principle of the common destination of goods, we can say that each country also belongs to the foreigner inasmuch as the territory's goods must not be denied to a needy person coming from elsewhere. As the bishops of the United States have taught, there are fundamental rights that precede any society because they flow from the dignity granted to each person as created by God. I'm going to explain that directly goes against the last 200 years of nationalism that, that, (laughs) is part of our identity. We, we 
can't help but see the world through a lens like that. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to read one more passage and I'm, I'm, I'm going to kind of break this down. The Pope, okay. the Pope says, no one then can remain excluded because of his or her place of birth, much less because of privileges enjoyed by others who were born in lands of greater opportunity. The limits and borders of individual states cannot stand in the way of this. As it is unacceptable that some have fewer rights by virtue of being uh, a woman, it is likewise unacceptable that the mere place of one's birth or residence should result in his or her possessing fewer opportunities for a developed and dignified life. In other words, the Pope is saying everyone deserves what's the common good. Everyone deserves what's needed to live a dignified life, regardless of where they're born, period, full stop, right? Okay. So kind of putting this all together, um, there's a common example, and Thomas Aquinas used this, um, um, uh, the documents of the Second Vatican Council used this example to talk about the universal destination of goods. It's such a fundamental principle that the example that's used is, let's say you have someone, uh, let's say um, uh, a parent and a child who are starving. If they go into a store and they steal a loaf of bread, the church says they're not actually stealing, right? We've, we've talked about this before. It's not just they're not culpable because of their extreme circumstances. It's that they're not actually stealing at all in the first place. They're just taking what's owed to them because they are owed food. Okay. The Pope is applying that reasoning to immigration. He's saying that if someone cannot find the means to live a dignified life in their own place, to live and they go to a country, a more prosperous country, right? The Kagan says more prosperous country to find a dignified life. Even if they are technically breaking that country's laws by moving there, they are not in reality doing anything wrong. Mm -hmm. They are simply exercising the rights that, that, that they have rights that exist mm -hmm. prior to civil laws. So um, if a foreigner in search, search, right, and this is from Vitelli Tutti, of a place that meets their basic needs mm -hmm. and where they can find personal fulfillment is being unjustly prevented from legally immigrating to, say, the United States and therefore enters illegally, mm -hmm. they aren't violating any moral law, period. Yeah. Um, there's one bishop, and I'm, I'm forgetting the bishop. I, he was a U.S. bishop. I'm forgetting what he said, but he said... Perhaps they're not breaking the law as much as the law is breaking them. Mm -hmm. This is what the Pope is teaching. Mm -hmm. And as you said, this runs totally counter to any type of America first view. Yeah. Yeah. Which isn't to clarify the Pope isn't saying open borders. Mm -hmm. But the Pope is saying that any regulation of the borders, which which he's, which the Catechism says political authorities have the right to do, right. any regulation must be at the service of the common good and for no other reason. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Point number four under solidarity then. Um, yeah. Okay. I want to add, I want to add one ah, more thing sorry. to this. Um, what this means, I think, for Catholics, mm -hmm. as we're considering immigration policy, is if there is a policy that restricts or prevents someone 
looking for um, a dignified life from entering this country. Mm -hmm. The onus is on that policy to demonstrate that it is for the sake of the common good. Because, because the, um, the default is that people have a right to immigrate. Mm -hmm. So every single law that we have that regulates or restricts immigration must be held under that kind of scrutiny. Mm -hmm. And I'm not, and, and that is the teaching of the church. Those Catholics, that's how we ought to look at immigration laws is put it under that scrutiny. Mm -hmm. um, now the church isn't suggesting specific policies, um, but certainly that type of scrutiny, um, certainly that type of scrutiny is, is damning to many of our immigration right. policies. Yeah. Um, okay. The, the, the fourth issue then underneath this umbrella of solidarity is care for the environment. Now, this is something that um, Pope Benedict cared about a lot and he started writing about. Um, and then Pope Francis really took that baton and ran with it. Mm -hmm. um, his first social encyclical being, um, being Laudato Si, all about care for the environment. Okay. So it's clear from scripture, if you go back to the story of Genesis, that the created world um, is made by God and therefore it's good. And therefore it has, it has value and dignity in and of itself. Now, not equal to human value, but still value and dignity in and of itself. And that human beings are called to be stewards of creation. Um, I think of like Lord of the Rings and uh, I think of uh, uh, um, uh, the stewards of Gondor. They're not the kings, right? Mm -hmm. um, they, uh, they're doing something wrong if they're lording authority over others. Because really, their responsibility is to just um, to, yeah, to gardeners and running, caretakers. Right? Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, that's our that's our role in creation. We're not lords of creation. We are stewards right. of something that's been given to us that mm -hmm. somebody else is lord of. Right. Mm -hmm. um, okay. So so there's that dimension that's really explicit, uh, just in uh, the creation story in Genesis. Okay, mm -hmm. but. But in the tradition of the church, there's also the sense that we must care for the environment because exploiting nature causes people, often poor and vulnerable people, to suffer. Mm -hmm. So think about this. Think about like a, um, uh, there's a factory and in their production, they are um, uh, polluting the water system around the factory. Mm -hmm. If you are wealthy, and have means you can move but who can't move who's who is most difficult for people to move and that is the poor and the vulnerable mm -hmm. um this is the case all around the globe so you see rising sea levels because of climate change who does that impact the most mm -hmm. but the poor and the vulnerable so we ought to care for the environment first because the environment does have some value in and of itself but also because when we don't care for the environment it harms vulnerable people, right? Mm -hmm. um, so those are the first two points. The third um, kind of principle underneath care for the environment is that we must care for our common home now out of a responsibility to future generations that they may be able to enjoy the goods of the earth. 
that they have a right to. Um, so, so here's another, uh, a little bit longer quote. This is from Laudato Si. The Pope says this, the notion of the common good also extends to future generations. The global economic crisis has made, has made painfully obvious the detrimental effects of disregarding our common destiny, which cannot exclude those who come after us. We can no longer speak of sustainable development apart from intergenerational solidarity. I love that phrase. Mm. We're not wow. just called the solidarity with those who are living now. We're called mm -hmm. the intergenerational solidarity. Mm -hmm. Pope continues. Once we start to think about the kind of world we are leaving to future generations, we look at things differently. And we realize that the world is a gift which we have freely received and must share with others. Since the world has been given to us, we can no longer view reality in a purely utilitarian way in which efficiency and productivity are entirely geared to our individual benefit. Intergenerational solidarity is not optional but rather a basic question of justice, since the world we have received also belongs to those who will follow us. The Portuguese bishops have called upon us to acknowledge this obligation of justice, saying, the environment is part of a logic of receptivity. It is on loan to each generation, which must then hand it on to the next. Wow. I wanna repeat one line. Since the world we have received also belongs to those who will follow us. Mm -hmm. um, these principles are what underpin the church's teaching on care for the environment. We care for the environment because it itself has value and is good. Mm -hmm. We care for it because not caring for it impacts the poor and the vulnerable the most. We care for it because future generations have just as much of a right to the goods of the earth as I do now. Mm -hmm. I do like, uh, one thing I like about this last point, um, I think it was Margaret Barker, actually. She, is, she likes to push back against the use of the word environment. And uh, she says we should be using the word creation instead because the idea attendant on the use of the word environment, it, it implies a separation from, from us when we are indistinct from creation. It's all a whole. And I think our relationship to how we um, live in creation also forms part of our, our identity. Um, and so if it's an identity that's built on waste and uh, lack of solidarity with creation around us, um, I love like in that sense, um, well, Pope Francis taking direct inspiration from St. Francis with the, the, the intentional sense of communion with the created order with yeah. the world brother, with son, brother, sister, son, moon. and sister, exactly. moon. Yeah. yeah. Right. With every, every animal, you know, um, it's you, when you curate and cultivate a different kind of relationship with that, not only are you then taking care of it and everything that is then happening that we've just described, but then we begin to see the first gospel, as I think some church fathers or, or mystics might've said, the first gospel before the sacred scriptures is creation itself. Yeah because it was the first act of communication and, and communion with each other, but communication with, um, well, with God. Yep. That's how he first uh, and continues to reveal himself uh, to, in, in every age. Um, so how we relate to creation uh, is how we form our, our identity. And that's something that we can't just uh, outsource and we can't ignore. Yeah. Yeah. The, in this passage that I read, the Pope calls out 
efficiency, productivity as primary goals. Because then we have a type of utilitarianism where we treat things and ultimately people as objects to be used, things to be manipulated. But now if you step back and think about St. Francis, brother, son, sister, moon, mm -hmm. now we have a sense of relationality and responsibility as primary, not use and productivity, right? Right. And this is the significant shift that our tradition is calling us to have, mm -hmm. that I am both in relation in some way with the created things around me and therefore have responsibility towards them. Yeah. Wonderful. What's a, what's a practical takeaway? after uh, all of the points that we've covered today, what would you like to encourage people? Oh man, there's a lot here. Um, so I think of these specific issues that we talked about, um, if there's any that you find particularly challenging or most frustrated with, uh, I would invite you to look up the sources that we've mentioned and to really like dive into the church's teaching. Like uh, if it hurts, go where the hurt is. <laughs> Um, and, you know, really ask for the grace for the Lord to give, uh, you a renewal of mind and a renewal of heart. Um, another takeaway is I would encourage you to read, uh, the Pope's new social encyclical for Duty. came out two years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, Solidarity is the main focus of it. I mean, the, the, the title is Brothers and Sisters All. And in the, in the very first section, he, um, he, he essentially says that we are being called um, to live a way of life that's marked by the flavor of the gospel. That's, that's what we're being called to, is to live mm -hmm. a life that's different. Um, this encyclical also I mean, like we've talked about this whole season, uh, there have been social encyclicals going back to Raymond of Arm in the 1890s. Mm -hmm. um, and there are, you know, unchanging principles that it's a thread between all of them. But each encyclical is also writing to a particular moment in history. And this encyclical from Pope Francis for Tutti is written for us today mm -hmm. right. in this context that we're living in. Um, the Pope is he inviting deeply us. gets it reading his bio and his life experiences. Like this is a guy who's been on front lines of pretty much everything and walking among the poor, rubbing shoulders with the rich. Like he, he's not, I don't know. I, he's I not naive. It. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So he's inviting us in this encyclical to look at the world around us as it is today. Mm -hmm. And he's saying, is inviting us to look at it differently, to look at it with the eyes of Christ. So um, I would encourage you to, to read, read Fratelli Tutti. Um, it's, it's not a difficult read. It's a little long, it's, but it's not hard to read. Um, mm -hmm. If you're looking for it, there's some really great resources out there. Um, one that uh, I contributed to um, is if you go to the Where Peter Is website, there's a, um, a Fratelli Tutti study guide with a short introduction for each of the chapters that help contextualize and explain what's going on. Um, and that's free. That's a really great resource, but you can also just pick up the encyclical and start reading it. 
Fantastic. Well, we want to take a moment, and, and it's one of the reasons why we love uh, the sponsor that has sponsored us for, for this year, Select to Give, because um, when you follow them or you hire them for one of their international tours, you're also directly sponsoring and supporting Christian families in the Holy Land. And I think that is a wonderful kind of uh, of solidarity. So here's what they have to say. More Christian leaders choose Select International Tours than any other pilgrimage company with 35 years of award-winning travel planning, they have a track record of excellence and faithfulness. They're a small company with a big heart. As I said just now, every one of their pilgrimage trips helps to support and fund their 501c3 charity work, helping Christian families to thrive in the Holy Land. So if you're ready to travel, or if you're looking to lead a group of your own, take the next step on your pilgrimage by visiting selectinternationaltours.com. Uh, if you enjoy this episode, please hit that like button. Uh, if you're not yet subscribed, do subscribe. Uh, it helps us to continue creating this kind of content. The show is brought to you from Smart Catholics, the online community for Catholic millennials, creators, and learners who want faithful conversations, unafraid of doubts and questions. And if that sounds like you, come and check us out at smartcatholics.com. Paul, if our friends have a question or some feedback for you, where can they go? Yeah, you can go to PopeFrancisGeneration.com. That's where uh, this this podcast uh, uh, is hosted, but also um, uh, my other writing and other projects as well. Uh, you, so you can follow all of that for free there. Um, you mm -hmm. can also become a paid supporter, um, and that helps support. On the, I can't do these projects without your support, um, and it's really appreciated. So uh, if that's something the Lord's putting on your heart, uh, definitely go for that as well. Absolutely. But that's uh, PopeFrancisGeneration.com. Fantastic. Please do uh, consider being a paid subscriber for the show. You are directly supporting Paul and his family, and you're helping him to continue creating this kind of content and this uh, beautiful Pope Francis Generation ministry. Friends, till next time, say a short prayer for yourself and for us. And remember, don't be afraid to ask questions. Doubts can be a sign that we want to know God better and more deeply. God bless you.